Yeah. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it's still very sweet. So we. That's a, that's, that's but really... it's it's the market. It's yeah, that... who's buying it. Sorry. <laughs> Do you want me to keep interrupting you? Yeah, I want you to wait it's for that the... first syllable. Yeah. But then just. Oops. Continue, sir. This is Our Daily Red, a podcast during which we drink a bottle of red wine. And to be clear, any winery could sponsor this podcast. We talk about something we've read today. And any news publication can also sponsor this podcast. And we get into a provocative conversation without blowing up our marriage. Which we should probably then pay for a couples therapist after the podcast. You know what? That's Ashley. And he's Barker. And you've got a great point. We need that ad revenue from those book publishers and those wineries so that we can pay for the couples counseling. Like Orla. Orna. Orna? Orna. Yes. I would Orna. I would charter a plane to New York City in order to sit down with you and Orna. My therapist loves the show Shrinking, and she definitely likes and likens herself to the Jason Seagal character more than Orna. I don't know if I ever finished that one. Yes, you ask that a million times. Every time you're like, did we finish it? Yes, we finished it. I basically, I must must have wanted more. I must have not been stated. Do you remember the wedding episode? Yeah. That was the finale. That was the finale. Yes, that was it. Okay. Well, that was a while ago now. I know. We need more of that. I know. Harrison Ford. It's like strikes happens the whole bit. Harrison's out doing like... Indiana Jones and Yellowstone and stuff. Indiana Jones and the memory care facility. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I didn't. I. I. You know. I love. You know. I love Indiana Jones. But the last movies within the last twenty years, n- no dice. Like I just. I don't. It's kind of how we talked about the Frasier reboot. Like I just. I. I'm. I'm good letting things just settle. And, and have a legacy. They don't need to keep being revived like a zombie. Thousand percent agree. Like that damn Christmas Carol movie. Who, why do we keep remaking the Christmas Carol? Okay. Kidding, kidding, foreshadowing, foreshadowing. Sorry, 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 blah, sorry, blah, sorry, blah. sorry, sorry. So I'm going to have to apologize um, up ahead uh, of time here because I'm the guy not drinking booze in this current dry December. Yep. And it's because. A dry December. That's five pennies. And there's reason to believe. Seven pennies now. Um, Seven pennies, I don't know. none the richer? All I, no, six pence, none the richer. But oh, yeah, I don't know how much these Spotify streams pay these artists anymore, but it, it can't be more than pennies. I mean, we're not so banking So it's okay if we this. get sued because it'll be pennies. In any case. It'll be like the Barbara Streisand effect. If Counting Crows comes after us, we're going to promote the shit out of that. And then we'll get listeners. What do you think has been my play this whole time? Who else can we like offend or manipulate? Excellent. So I apologize because I'm not going out and buying the bottles of wine and bring them home. No. And therefore you have nothing exciting to talk about. I... Am drinking what we call the OG of de-alcoholized wines, the Ariel Cabernet Sauvignon. Oh. 
The best de-alcoholized wine you can get for $9. Do you think that they named themselves Ariel before or after The Little Mermaid came out? Well, haven't you done your research for this podcast episode? Don't you know? I don't give a shit about your alcohol-free wine. It's not alcohol-free. It's de-alcoholized. Okay, so tell me about this. So they removed the alcohol from it? So yeah. they made it like a cheap wine. Exactly. And then they were like, oopsies. And then they basically run it through like a couple of Brita's, I think is what they do. Oh, okay. There's, there's some filtration process. Yeah, so there's a Brita. <laughs> okay, got it. Yeah. Wasn't I'm that, imagining wasn't... like a giant Brita filter system <laughs> with red wine coming through it. You were the one who, aren't you the one who told me about that like uh, college fraternity trick where they buy the really, really cheap, cheap vodka, but then they run it through a Brita filter and then it tastes like Belvedere? Yes. But there's something where you have to store it. Uh, it's got to be stored for a little while. There's something about that. Like you mm. can't just run it through the Brita filter and be like magic. It's got there's some kind of like. Well, then I don't I don't imagine many fraternities having the foresight to do that like in advance. Oh, I don't think it was a fraternity trick. Oh. At a fraternity, you do not care what the flavor of the vodka is. <laughs> it is all about just city studio apartments. Yeah, I. It's agree. like. It's a, called like a, it's, it's, it's a room that has a, a small fridge and a burner in it. The price people pay for living in the Big Apple. It's just it's whatever. Anyways, as you know, I, I don't have soft feelings for New York. You don't have soft feelings for New York? No. Okay. That's okay. But you're drinking a red wine. I'm drinking red wine. I'm drinking a standby. It's a Pinot Noir from Oregon. It's the Klee, um, which I always really love the label because it really stands out. It's a picture. It's a painting by uh, Paul Klee. And so it just really kind of, you know, when you're in a the wine department of a grocery store and you see the same thing over and over again, like domain, blah, blah. And it's a, you know, a drawing of a chateau somewhere and then you get on this one it's the clee painting which is moody and funny and abstract i just the the artist in me is attracted to this label well connecting the dots here when we moved back from new york city to sacramento california uh and i came out to look at apartments you were still in new york city and i i, I flew out to california to look for apartments one of the buildings i looked at was the clee Oh. Ding, ding, ding. That is full circle. All right. <laughs> Episode over. Turn it off. Stop recording. We're That's done. right. That's what we did last time when, yeah. we, when we circled around to the nutcracking. Yeah. <laughs> which we did go to this last weekend, and it was lovely, except for our seats, which were terrifying, and I will never do that again. Well, and it actually was the nutcracking, because at the same time that the nutcracker was playing, we were there. Uh, a couple blocks over, the Kraken ice hockey team were playing. And when we converged in the parking lot on the yeah. way out, we sat and sat and sat waiting for all the hockey fans and the ballet fans to get out of the same well, parking garage at I the same like, time. The, the traffic wasn't horrific. It really was coming out of McCaw Hall and being surrounded by Kraken fans. And you're there and you're like, nice outfit. And you're coming out of this ballet <laughs> performance and everything's like... You know, the land of sweets and champagne and whatever. And then you're in, in the Kraken lost that game. And so you have all these kind of just upset hockey fans wearing their... And I was telling my friend Dora about this. And Dora goes, 
Yeah, that was not a melting pot, I'm sure. And I was like, oh yeah, there was no mixing to be had. It was oil and water. We were all same parking garage and there was, you could tell very easily who was at the cracking game and who was at the nutcracker. But to be fair, (laughs) our friend who we were with, Jacob, he was the crossover because he genuinely enjoyed the nutcracker. Yes. But as soon as he saw people in those jerseys, he was like, hey, did we win? So he was... He was yes, on board. I know. He he and his son, they were so sweet. He and his son, um, I love that. I love to hear that men are raising future men to be like that. And that makes sense. man. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, since we don't have much to talk about on the red wine front, we no. can skip over to what we've read today. Yes. Well, actually, you know what? I'm going to talk about what I read today because in lieu of wine talk, we can have wine talk. Okay. So there was an article in the New York Times. Wine with with an H? Whinge, as the Brits and the Aussies would say. I like that, but I can't hear whinge without thinking of... Of the hound. The hound from Games of Thrones. Yeah, (laughs) Games of Thrones. The hounds from Games of Thrones, plurals. Um, No, no, there was an article in the New York Times a couple days ago about... A professor who's using machine learning and a computer model to test um, hundreds, thousands, I don't know, lots of different wines and has determined that you can tell very specifically when a wine has been made in Bordeaux. And if you don't know Bordeaux, it's like the wine snob of wine snobs uh, terroir in, in France. And, you know, the article even references a couple of people who, who grow wine in Bordeaux who say they grew up it, it, pretending like Burgundy didn't even exist. That's Ew. how much, that's how snobby they are. Burgundy, by the way, Boo. best Pinot Noir in the world, like wonderful, delicate. Oh my God, I know. I would prefer a Burgundian any day of the week. I'm more of a Burgundy guy than a Bordeaux guy. But you think about Bordeaux, there are some bottles that come out every year in Bordeaux that sell for thousands of dollars. The 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 wines that you see at a fancy um, restaurant wine list that have been, you know, 20, 30, 40 years old, those are Bordeaux wines. Those are the yeah. wines that can stand up to that age. They're apparently made so well that, you know, and so that's balanced. that's like Cabernet Sauvignon, right? Like that's a, that's a Bordeaux. Yeah, Cab Sauvignon is a Bordeaux varietal. What's the white? Sancerre? Nobody really thinks Bordeaux white, but yeah, I think Sancerre is one of them. But I don't like white Bordeaux. You really don't like it. So so we don't don't know much about them because we we just don't drink them. Um, But yeah, when you think of, when we think of like Napa, that's Bordeaux. When you think of like big, jammy. Yeah, but the problem is that Chardonnay is not Bordeaux. That's right. Chardonnay is Burgundian. Chardonnay is, is Burgundian. So that's why Napa is a mix where it's got the cab from Bordeaux. And the Chardonnay from Burgundy. Right. And then they also have Pinot Noir thrown in there. And I don't think but, there's but Sauvignon when you think Blanc about, comes But when there. you think about those huge Napa wineries that, you know, they want to, you know, charge several hundred dollars a bottle. And yeah. um, they, they, are, they are to a degree trying to emulate the huge story, storied wine houses of Bordeaux. There are a handful of wine... Um, winemakers and wine houses in Bordeaux that still tout their like 1800s categorization as the best of the best as designated by Napoleon. And they still hold on to that. In any case, so this, this 
professor using machine learning has determined yes there is something unique about the terroir in bordeaux well duh well i mean no no, no. I don't it's not duh machine learning for it's that it's not duh okay continue on you think about like it, it, it's a truly a blind tasting is what he's 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 come up with it's truly a blind tasting where it's not just a snob here, snob there. Oh, I, I, I can tell this is, you know, because you know what you, you can do. Like a lot, even people do blind tastings, which really don't happen that often. But even when they do, certain sommeliers have been, you know, they, they, they have been trained to recognize. It's kind of like how you and I can recognize a wine from Paso. Yeah. And then uh, we're not objective anymore. Yeah. I've identified this as from Paso, so I know it's. I'm supposed to say X, Y, and Z about it. I've identified this wine is a is a Bordeaux style wine. Now I know. I have to say X, Y, and Z in order to earn my stripes. Whether or not I, I think that wine is better than the next one or whether I, I, I like it or not. Anyway, so by doing like a um, – look, and I don't know the details of it. I thought it was interesting. It was, it was not that – that I didn't read the study behind the article. I just okay. read the article. There is a study that's linked in the article. We'll link it for you if you feel you should read it and tell us more about what we should be talking about. Um but the idea that you have a, a truly blind tasting that says, yes, there is something unique about these wines. Um, and, and and the researcher's point of view was, hey, this is justification. Yes, you can charge more for these wines because there is something unique about them. They are unique and different, distinct from anywhere else. But what's funny is all of the wineries, the wine houses that um, participated in the study, they agreed to participate in the study as long as they were anonymous. Yeah. And the researcher's like, I don't know why they want to be anonymous. I've proven that they have a reason to charge you more money. Because they didn't want the alternative. Yeah. I mean, and, and, and I think that's what they learned from the wine tasting in 1976. So they didn't really believe in themselves is what you're saying. Yeah, because they believed it was marketing. Yeah. Yeah, it was a location premium. It was real estate. I, I, it, 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 I don't know. I'd be interested to read more of that article, but... As you know, I've read quite a few books like the, you know, the book that was the movie Bottle Shock was based off of about the tasting of 1976. I've read the Widow Clicquot books. I read The Billionaire's Vinegar. Like there's there's been really good narrative nonfictions out there about the the wine industry. My view is that wine is only as good as the current taste makers allow and what i mean by this is we think about like cloco we think about champagne well 200 years ago for example in 1823 uh napoleon's out or dead by that point champagne was very sweet it was like a very sweet less carbonated wine and it was the the reason why is because the French champagne makers, their primary market was to Russia. And Russians really loved the sweet champagne because it was very different than the vodka they were drinking. And so that was seen as the premium. It was like that was seen as the gold standard was super sweet champagne. Not because it was the highest, best use of those grapes, but because that's what would sell. Yes, if we were to drink that today, we'd go. Well, that reminds me. <laughs> number one, that would be an interesting experiment to do. Yeah. Um, drink something that today would be unrecognizable, but looks and and is called the same thing. That's really interesting. But it also reminds me of how, 
you bought the other day oh. a bottle of what you thought yeah. was a German dry Riesling. From Mosul. From the, a region where you used to drink it from when we were in Germany. Yeah. And it was... Disgusting. Unrecognizable. It was unrecognizable. There's no way I would ever take that bottle and give it to a German. They would look at me and go, why have you poisoned me? Yeah. Am I supposed to pour this over ice cream? What is yeah, this? Yeah, it was. I mean, it was, syri- it was syrupy and Were sweet. Were you supposed to make a cake out of a kuchen out yeah. of it? Because it was so gross. Um, I and just got to dump it. The bottle looks the same. It comes from the same wine region. But what sells in this market in the U.S. is different. So yeah. they don't send their great dry stuff over here. And it's, you know, and it's interesting. It's funny because we we have a friend back in Sacramento who is a wine broker. broker. And for many years, when we were still living back in Sacramento, he would try to sell us on the, oh, Riesling, German Riesling is good. It's He would say things like esoteric and blah, blah, blah. And we'd all laugh at him. We'd be like, yeah, right, Jonathan. We're not going to believe that shit. Like Riesling is a dessert wine. It's gross. And I think it was when our friend Kim, who had moved to Germany to be with her German now husband, he's from the Falls region, which is on the western side of Germany. So it borders up against eastern France. Uh, And she had given me a bottle of Riesling. And I remember I I brought it home for, for us from my first trip back to Munich, kind of when we were scouting, when I was scouting before we moved. And I opened it up and it was delightful. It was dry. It was. It was. It was so a little bit of, a little bit of acid, a little bit crisp, uh, but um, ref- refreshing. No, no sweetness to it. It was so refreshing. It was a great winter white wine, and I was like, "Oh, this is a riesling." We have yet to find an American-made riesling. Well, definitely not an American-made riesling. But even a Riesling that's being sold in the American market from German producers, we can't there's still find it. the wrong ones. And every time we've been to wineries where we've heard about wineries near, you know, neighboring tasting rooms that have a Riesling. And we've said to people, we're like, is it sweet? Is it dry? And they're like, oh, no, it's dry. And then we go and try it. And no, nope. it's all relative. It's dry compared to a bag of Skittles. Yeah. You can call me Segway Man because it reminds me of how, again, markets change, people's uh, tastes change, the way we celebrate today. Christmas yeah. was not the way people celebrated Christmas, say, I don't know, 200 years ago. Yeah. So <laughs> that, was, that was a really, that was This nice. has been brought to you by Segway Man. <laughs> Segway Man. Uh, we watched tonight the movie The Man Who Invented Christmas. If you've not watched it, I highly recommend it. It came out, I think, a couple of years ago. It's the movie about Charles Dickens when he was writing The Christmas Carol. And Charles Dickens is played by the guy who was in Downton Abbey. Matthew. There you go. He was also in Eurovision as the Russian guy who aptly... Not the actual Eurovision. You're talking about the the, the Will Ferrell movie, The Song of Fire so and Fire and, Saga, whatever it's called. And he's British. The best part is when he's, he's, he's British, but he's playing this Russian guy, and he's like, 
Oh, UK, nobody likes them. Zero points. And then the next Eurovision, zero points for the UK. It was so funny. Spot on. <laughs> Anyways, uh, he plays Charles Dickens, who has had horrible writer's block coming out of the success of Oliver Twist. He's trying to figure out what to write. He suddenly has this epiphany through a series of events and creates this character, Ebenezer Scrooge, and writes the book. I actually really like the movie. Not only is it, it's a, it's about him and the writing process, and it's, it gave me actually a lot more information about Charles Dickens than I knew about him. Having worked at, he was in a workhouse as a child. His father had been in prison. So a lot of the things that he wrote about in his stories, I didn't, I didn't know before this movie that he actually had had firsthand experience. But it made me realize, and it reiterated, that the Christmas Carol, I love it. I love it as a, it's, it, I, Barker, you love It's a Wonderful Life. That is the movie for you that will always get you. You will watch that part and it'll be like, that's right, Zuzu, that's right. And you just, or when Harry comes in and he says to my brother, George, the richest, look, you're about to cry right now. Your <laughs> eyes are glossing over. No, it's even way earlier in the movie. It's, 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 it's when George gets upset and, and, and the piano, the little girl playing the piano is like, oh, daddy. That's true. That does, <laughs> it just gets you. You cannot watch that movie without crying. And I think, and I, I love that movie too, but I think it's the Christmas Carol. And maybe it's because I'm a morbid, creepy person who likes ghost stories. And so there's something that just gets my core. But I love that message at the end when the narrator says that Ebenezer Scrooge kept the spirit of Christmas in his heart all year round. And I will tell you, that is a line that I think of all year in may in august is that why there's an evergreen tree in our living room at all times no it's not like actual christmas <laughs> but i really do think that if you're someone who believes in and i'm not always good at it right like i think it's an aspiration but i think it's the idea of generosity and love and not putting your shit in front of other people's that would serve all hum all humankind to great to greater heights to greater expectations if you will now you've crossed over That's oh a- boom that was terrible um anyways i i i really love it and you know it's there's certain things that i i will always watch with my dad growing up that i have like are just real connection points with him. I think any watching a Giants game, Star Trek, those are like touchstones. But he and I both share a love of the 1951 version of The Christmas Carol with uh, Alistair Sims, which is black and white. It's creepy. Alistair Sims was a total character, British character actor. The movie was made for television. I mean, it's low budget. I think it's the best. But you know what's second best? Bill Murray Scrooge. Third best is The Muppets Christmas Carol with Michael <laughs> Caine. Like, I just like there's so many good versions of it. As much as I love Patrick Stewart, I don't think his version of The Christmas Carol is in the top three. 
But there's so many good versions of it. And I think it can be made so many different ways in so many different decades. And you like there was the uh, Vanessa Williams version of it. Vanessa Williams, the singer, the model, the yeah, the Miss for, America, the Miss America. She did one. It was like a Hallmark original film way back in the nineties, mm. where she plays. So I think it's kind. Of, it's like where she plays who? She plays Scrooge. She plays Scrooge. Yeah. I mean, but oh. she's supposed to be like. I think she's supposed to be like a fashion magazine. Oh, more like a Devil editor. Wears Prada type. Yes. Scrooge. <laughs> and she's just heartless. And then these spirits come to her and she realizes she could be a better boss and better person. So I think it's it's almost it's it's like as I was saying to you, it's almost like Shakespearean where you could take that story of Scrooge and put it in any decade, any situation, and you're always gonna have the shithead boss, this capitalist who realizes there's more to life than money, and it's about the people. And their love of humanity. I do like this this movie, the the man who invented Christmas, and they are going through the how Dickens came up with the story of a Christmas Carol, and different parts of his life where he gleaned. And I don't know how much liberty they're taking here about yeah. imagining where he came up with these things. But one of the things they go through, which I think is probably documented, is how he knows that. He needs to start with a name. And once he has the character's yeah. name, then that character speaks to him and they tell him who they are and he can write that character. And so there's that epiphany scene in the movie where he comes up with, he's like, scrunch, scrub, scru And he goes, Scrooge. And and then all of a sudden Scrooge appears to him in his mind's eye. And, uh, Played I by guess, Sir Ian what? McKellen. Wrong. Oh, who was it? Christopher Plummer. <gasps> that was Christopher Plummer? Yes. Yes, it was. Oh my gosh, I feel like such a dunce. Of course that was Christopher Plummer. And you kept saying Ian McKellen. I, I like, did. I like, thought that was like, Ian McKellen. I'm, like, I'm seeing a different guy's face in my, my head when you say Ian McKellen. Sir Ian McKellen. You've disgraced Sir Ian McKellen. Well, I feel worse for Christopher Plummer. Is he a sir? Is he a sir Christopher Plummer? Uh, Is he British? Yes. Okay. You may remember him as the Captain Von Trapp. Right. From The Sound of Music. Yes. Course. What you can't see is the really inept air guitar. There's like an air guitar. Like, and it's it's like a lot of finger movement. But you're playing it more like it's an accordion. (laughs) Yes, that feels more. Actually, it feels more uh, natural as playing an air Austrian air accordion. Anyways, God, you're right. That was Christopher Plummer. What are some of those other names, though? Come on, give me some Dickens names. They're blank. I'm blanking on them right now, but he's got great character oh, names. Oh, Miss Havisham. Havisham. David Copperfield. Obviously, Fuzzy uh, Fezziwig? Fuzzywig. Something like that. Fezziwig. He, I mean, Oliver Twist, the Artful Dodger. He, I mean, he was so good at coming up with names. And I, he kind of was like, and the British are so good with words, even if they're really bad at spelling words. They're so good at coming up with names because we see this with Roald Dahl mm. and the names that he came up with. I think J.K. Rowling was also excellent with like Dolores Umbridge, Lord Voldemort, like just these names that just kind of like drip off of your tongue and they the yeah. letters shape the character and I I I agree. I love that scene. Mm-hmm. 
Marley was dead as a doornail. That is the first line for that story. What's the scene? Where are we at when that happens? When he says that? Or when the narrator says that? Uh, I, I, I'm I trying to remember. I, It's like he was dead as a doornail. It definitely is Scrooge walking from his house to his office. Was he walking away from a funeral service or something? No, it's because Marley had died on Christmas oh. or Christmas Eve. So it was it was to kind of say that this was the anniversary. And so it's it's supposed to position Scrooge as his partner. And- Is that the first instance of the phrase dead as a doornail? Did he in- invent that? I don't know. Hmm. That feels almost like Shakespeare came up with doornail. It does. Because he was, he was the best at that. And so I wouldn't be surprised if Dickens had taken that. I don't know. We'll have to an, look that up. This will turn into an etymology uh, podcast. Which you and I, most of our conversations do turn out that way. Honestly, like it's one of the more, more interesting things in life, in my opinion. Yes. Where did that word come from? Where did that phrase come from? Why do we say that? Yeah. It, for When Barker and I are on road trips and we're just, he's driving, pulling the Airstream behind him. I can't read or look down at anything because I get car sick and we're just staring at the road ahead of us. We do end up in conversations about where did that word come from? Where did this word come from? Yeah. What, 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 we've been saying that phrase our whole lives. What does that even mean? Why do I say that? Well, well, the other day we were like, why do people call a pacifier a binky? Yes. And we find out, well, it was a like a plastics company, a rubber and plastics company from 1935 that used to make all the pacifiers in America. The so Binky weird. Corporation or whatever. I know. It it's like calling it a Kleenex. Yeah, that's what it's like. Yeah. Uh, on the on a on a work a conference call the other day, uh, somebody made reference to like, you know, well, wait till like the fat lady sings. And another person on the call says, I'm not sure you can say that anymore. Yeah. And that's mm-hmm. one of the things I like. I, I like to find the etymology of is like, Wait, is that a cancelable thing? Can I not say that anymore? Is that offensive to somebody? Yeah, we've just been saying it our whole lives. I don't know, but isn't that an opera? That's an opera reference. That's an opera term, but I, I there's so many sopranos that are out there in this day and age that who are aren't not fat? who aren't fat. Yeah. Maria Callas was like notoriously not fat. I think fat is one of those words that P H A T. No, F A D. I think that a woman can have agency in person. Like, I know that there's a movement where there are people out there who are like, I am a fat woman. But I think if you're not part of that culture, that community, you can't refer to them as fat. Like, you can't say, I'm out like the fat can dodgeball. Like, you can't say that either. Nobody ever says that. That's the only thing. That's the only you say. Oh, well, I won't I've say only that ever anymore. heard you say that in my life. Well, I, won't, I don't say that anymore, <laughs> to be clear. Oh, also, just to be clear, it was not me on the conference call who said this. It was somebody else. Third party. Well, I know. The one that I always felt bad is uh, early on in my career, I said uh, someone was off the reservation, and I did not know that that was a bad thing. And then I learned about it, and I was like, oh, yeah, that was bad. Um, yeah, no, that, that, that actually is. I feel like, I don't know if it's, it's obviously a distinctly American thing. But some of those um, Native American terms feel so uh, common and feel so um, not offensive, but you realize they are. Like, like how many times have you been in an office uh, setting and so a couple of people on your team say, can, can we have a powwow on this? Yeah, or let's circle like, the wagons. Oof, yeah. You can't say it. 
The one that I think people are really having a hard time letting go is spirit animal. Mm. Uh, because that is not, you can't say that anymore. That's totally. Can I say my patron saint is a, um, like a sand crab? You can say that because you're Catholic or <laughs> you were baptized Catholic. So that's fine. I think a lot of people have opted to say Patronus from Harry Potter because no one's going to get offended by that. Yet. <laughs> Not so far. Until the Church of Harry Potter, you know, in <laughs> Is established. You know, two, two generations from now, our, our yeah. great-grandchildren are going to take great offense at that. It's possible. I yeah. mean, who knows? I know. I kind of, I, I don't. As I told you, I think I, I might have ruffled a few feathers when I was at this. Um, our oldest went to a Christmas party with some of the other girls in her class. And she goes to a Catholic school. And so a lot of the other moms, there are obviously practicing Catholics. And one of the moms was talking about how her son was saying, why do we pray to Mary all the time? Like, what's up with the Catholics and their obsession with Mary? And I, oh, no. I gave a little lesson on how that came about. and Which was? Which was that the church, the Christian church, in its early days was really struggling to what we would call launch into new markets. <laughs> and they were... To fi- scale in, in, uh, in they, uh, Yeah, tech they terms. were trying to find new customers and new markets. And unfortunately, there was existing brands in those markets that were devoted to the fertility goddess. And so the church decided in their marketing brains, hmm, maybe if we introduced this sub-brand called Mary the Virgin then maybe some of those people who've been shopping at the Fertility Goddess store, they might come over and buy from our marketplace. <laughs> might be it, working as far as an analogy goes, but this might actually be worse than what you said initially. Yeah, I didn't say this in the store at the party, yeah. but this is. And so, but you said the thing about the Fertility Goddess. Yeah, I was like, she is the representation of the Fertility Goddess in pagan countries, in particularly in places like. Ireland, Mexico, you know, wherever. And these, and I'm explaining it to it, and these moms all just kind of look at me like deer in the headlights. And I don't think, I don't think any of them were, uh, I don't think any of them like really disagreed with me, but I think that I just so blatantly stated it like, yeah, she's a pagan goddess, <laughs> NBD. <laughs> well, and you also have you have a demeanor that some people who haven't known you that long have a hard time discerning. Are you being irreverent? Are you being like matter of fact? Like what w- with what attitude are you delivering this? You try? Oh, are you trying to make a joke? All of the above. <laughs> all of the above. But also, I'm right about this. Yeah, I'm not wrong. <laughs> Statement of fact delivered in a way to delight you. Yeah. Hey, <laughs> fun party talk. <laughs> I guess maybe it's not fun party talk. <laughs> uh, Merry Christmas. Who's got a Ouija board? Yeah, exactly. Anybody interested in pulling the high priestess card from my tarot deck? <laughs> We're going to take a break from okay. our, to, to, to hear from our sponsor, the Counting Crows. <laughs> And I'm going to use the restroom and we'll come back and we will talk about what we're looking forward to. Okay. 
So I get on a plane tomorrow to go to San Francisco on a work trip. The last time I went to San Francisco on a work trip, I had neither Nick's Crispy Tacos nor Jay's Seitan Cheesesteak. Ugh, travesties. So. I feel really bad for you. I knew you were going to care about this at all. No. So the Nick's Crispy Taco. Mm-hmm. They fold a soft tortilla around a thin layer of crispy tortilla. Yep, I'm aware. And then put the innards in there. And it is so delightful. Yeah, it's called a cheesy... Gord- nah, it's di- no, it is not. It's the cheesy gordita crunch. It's like this, this, this folded taco. I don't even know how to explain it. It's just delightful. It's crispy. Is it not yeah, the cheesy gordita crunch? It's not a cheesy gordita crunch. What is the Taco Bell equivalent? Well, yeah, I guess if it had a Taco Bell equivalent, it would be the cheesy gordita crunch. But like, it's Taco Bell. It's it's not Mexican food. My name is David. My friends call me G. One hungry young dog I be. Cool like a penguin, slick like a tuxedo. So hook me up with a gooey enchirito. Enchirito. I think that's it. <sighs> Go, David. It's your birthday. Go, David. The fact that I can remember that from, I believe, the year 2000 leads me to believe that my long-term memory is amazing. Or just that you've been programmed with movie quotes and bad songs and TV jingles. Get that crap out of your head. But I remember a lot of other really amazing things. Like uh, like a like a sitcom theme song you can sing to me. Yep. You want you want to do some Fresh Prince for me right now? Yes. I, I think, can do that. I think you just gave away what was very valuable airtime to a large corporation that should pay for it. Taco Bell, we will take your sponsorship dollars. And even we will if you eat don't Taco have Taco Bell with our wine. Maybe you don't even have enchiritos anymore. I don't know. That was from the 90s, right? I don't think they do. I don't even know what an enchirito is. I never had one. <laughs> it didn't work. Oh, so the jingle didn't work. No, I memorized the jingle, but I never had an enchirito. <laughs> <laughs> well, the other place in San Francisco. Look, San Francisco is an amazing food city. It's better for coffee, let's be honest. They have a lot of wonderful restaurants there. There's a lot of cuisines there that you can't get other places. But I go for Jay's Cheesesteak. Do they have a California Pizza Kitchen there? In the city? I can't imagine they do. I hope not. That'd be embarrassing. Okay, Jay's Cheesesteak. Should you just not scrape the bottle against the table every time you do that? Okay, Jay's Cheesesteak. What neighborhood is that in? I don't know. I don't, don't I think know? I think it's I think it's in the mission. I don't know my I don't know my geography in San Francisco. This is a little disappointing. It's 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 hidden in a place called Google Maps. And all I have to do is plug it in and then go there. This feels like nope, I'm not even gonna reference the movie because then you're gonna make fun You were of me. about to reference another movie. I was. So lame. What are you looking up? I'm looking up Jay's cheesesteaks. There used to be multiple yes, locations. Yes, it's 100% Look, in the Mission. There used to be multiple locations. Now it's there's just the one. Close to, it's like in between Mission and Dolores Heights. Thanks, COVID. You killed Jay's cheesesteak number two. You're not going to be able to have Jay's cheesesteak. Why? I don't know. I'm just saying it. He was predicting it. Yep. 
That's not positive You're gonna thinking. You're going to have to choose one or the other. Oh, Nick's Crispy Tacos. Nick's comes first. Yes. Which I think also was on in Knob Hill. Yeah, it's it's further north. Yeah. Yeah. Kinda okay, off. so Nick's Crispy Tacos supersedes Jay's cheesesteaks. It does. Yeah. Okay. Well, it depends. Maybe I'll be in a different mood uh, on the day of. But this is how I plan my work trips. I, I used to be. It used to be. I used to do all these work trips out to random places throughout the country, not big cities. Yeah. And I would do extensive research before getting on that plane to say, what is this area of the United States known for? Waffle houses? Maybe. Maybe that's where I'm going then. Is there a, a fast food chain? You know, when I'm down in Corpus Christi, Texas, I tried the uh, Whataburger because Texas is known for the <laughs> Whataburgers. And they say it like that, Whataburger. I know, it's stupid. And unremarkable as well. I mean, let's be honest. You could say the same about In-N-Out Burger. Not true. I know. It's a controversial statement. And I'm not like a stan. I'm just saying the thing that sets In-N-Out Burger apart is the quality of the ingredients. I know, but I think Whataburger, which is how you would pronounce it if you were... I think it's supposed to be like, what a burger. Yeah, it's supposed to be what a burger. Yeah, but no, but no, it's They pronounce it like Whataburger. Yeah, Which Whataburger. the first time... I remember I was traveling with Ernesto and he kept saying, there's a Whataburger. And I, or however, and I was like, why are you saying it's Whataburger? Like it's what a burger. Yeah. Hey, what a burger. That's yeah. That's had to be in where what it came a burger. from. Yeah. Anyways, um, I will tell you when I was planning my business travel, I would plan it around what museums I could go to. So that's the difference between you and me. Fast food, museums. I don't see the difference. No daylight between those two things. Uh, there's a ton. <laughs> this is why we make such a magical pairing. You you are in Paris trying to get into the Louvre. Yeah. And I'm trying to discover what the fuck a French taco is. Yes. Which, by the I way, was, looks like a burrito and tastes like nothing when, Mexican. When I went to Dallas, I went to the book repository. And you went to probably like a fried chicken joint. I went to both the book depository. Repository. Repository. Oh, wait. I think you said depository first. I think it is depository. Wait, no. Repository. Which which is the one you put up your rectum? That's a suppository. Yes. Yeah, sorry. Book. (laughs) Dang it. Depository. Depository. Yes. I, I went there when I was in Dallas as well. Did you ever go to Kansas City? Yes. I did. Did you go to the world famous World War One Museum? No, but I did have burnt ends. Yep. See? Difference. You and me. <laughs> I also did see the Royals play the A's when I was in Kansas City, and that was a good time. That's 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 pretty good. That's kind of yeah. a split splitting the difference between yeah. like barbecue and museum. You went and yep. saw the Royals. I had all of it. I had the barbecue, the baseball, and the World War One museum. Speaking of like etymology or where things come from, why is there a baseball team in Kansas City called the Royals? Okay. Were, I, they, a, were they an expansion team from the UK? So they were originally the Athletics. What? Okay, I'm trying to remember. Oof, don't There's, get this one wrong. Don't make I stuff know. up. So I have a hat that says... Kansas City Athletics. So I think the A's. Oh, 
I'm gonna screw this. Okay, one but up. okay, okay, okay. Perhaps, perhaps you're right there. Doesn't doesn't answer the question about the Royals. There's you're gonna a, tell me that there were they were the Athletics. They were, the Athletics went somewhere else to Oakland. Oakland. But where'd the Royals come from? The Royals. I'm not gonna know that one. It's like I'm, the Los Angeles Lakers. I get that one. They came from Minnesota. Oh, you're right. They did. The Angels are obvious. No. Anaheim Angels because Angels Los Angeles. Yeah, but they're in Anaheim. Well, they used to be the the Los Angeles team before those Brooklyn Dodgers made their way to Los Angeles. That's actually pretty cool that there used to be a uh, or there still is a Southern California team called the Angels. So you got Los Angeles Angels, and then you had the San Diego Padres named after the uh, yeah franciscan monks you had the san francisco you have the san francisco 49ers well no i was thinking about the little religious element to it oh angels and the padres i generally love uh teams that have like obviously historic it's one of the reasons why i love the baltimore ravens because of the edgar Allan poe connection (laughs) uh even though they used to be the baltimore broncos no no you're making that up colts broncos dang it what was it? <laughs> this is not a sports podcast. No, this is not a sports podcast. <laughs> we don't know the sports ball. But if you watch the 30 for 30, there is an episode about the marching band in Baltimore that used to play for... God, I want to say it's the Colts. It is the Colts. They used to they used to be the Baltimore Colts. The Indianapolis Colts. Colts used to be the Baltimore Colts. Yes. See, not the Broncos. And Although Baltimore Broncos sounds better, but it doesn't make any sense. Neither of them makes any sense. You know, I, I, I'll i give you something that we're both looking forward to, and it's a little teaser for the people listening. This coming Friday on the split half bottle episode, split bottle, half bottle, by the glass. Definitely not mailbag. <laughs> Uh, coming up Friday, this podcast is going to have its very first ever guest interview. And that's all you get to know for now. Tune in. Yeah. Friday. I was talking to one of our friends about coming over and doing like a Bavarian themed Christmas night with us with like eggnog and sausages and glue vine and should, things. We should we should talk through that on another podcast. Like Yeah. Like what's what are all the perfect Perfect Christmas things, and most of them are Bavarian, spoiler alert. Yes. And so I think that would be fun to do that. And then maybe also, maybe like record them as a guest too on our, our little podcast. I love it. A little bit of um, Glühwein. Yeah. Um, Eggnog for me. Because I, I, I finally made the Alton Brown recipe. So that'll be ready to go by like the 22nd. All right, get your Christmas shopping done. Yep. Send us an email, ourdailyredpod at gmail.com. I won't interrupt you. Blah, blah, blah. (laughs) All right. Good night, y'all. Bye.